All right, welcome into another edition of the Fezic Focus Pod. We, I guess it's week 19 because we're in the playoffs, baby. We are in the playoffs. It's time. And I, I was curious on this with you, Fez, because it seems like there's only six games to handicap this week, which means you've got more time to dig in and really get, the, get to the bottom of things, but also it means that the lines are probably a little more shaped. Absolutely. And because of that, extremely difficult to find great value. Look no further than the the Raiders against the Bengals. Boom, six and a half at open blink. Yeah, no more six and a half, no more six. Now it's five and a half. So the numbers, best bets get taken out very quickly. And I mean, as soon as these, it's, you know, everybody says, well, the NFL, the the big money guys, they've the schedule's all laid out for them in advance. They know if this happens and this happens, this is the way they're going to look. Well, these playoff games, you, you know what's going to happen if the certain – like everybody's got an idea of if, it, if things fall a certain way, this is the way we're betting. I don't know if I follow that. Like I'm saying, the, the guys who are ready to, to jump on those opening numbers, they knew, depending on what the results were of each game, they knew which way that – opening money was going to push. Oh, you know, I think you're giving us far too much credit. In oh, really? Ter- in okay. terms of until the until the schedule shows Raiders uh, are, are, are facing the Bengals, all we're doing is focusing on whether that game's going to end in a tie. All right. And everything else is completely ancillary to it. Then I stand corrected. Uh, do you think that the uh, – that's the other thing I want to get into with you is Brandon Staley – do do you think that he made a mistake not letting the clock tick down or calling that timeout? Do you feel like he he blew it? Sure feels like it, doesn't it? It felt like the Raiders were not going to do anything. Um and here's where he really blew it in terms of apparently he had the defense the wrong defense out there and he wanted to put his run defense out there, but the Raiders aren't going to snap the ball until there's two seconds left. So, you know, you, you have as much time as humanly possible to make that decision because the Raiders have no incentive to play fast. And so in a situation like that, yeah, uh, he blew it. And I do think there was a, certainly a very reasonable chance that the Raiders were just going to play, you know, a very conservative run. And I actually had a hypothesis that the Raiders should purposely have a penalty to push them back to the point where they'd be out of field goal range. Oh, that's a good call. So then they could just get their tie. But the Raiders, you know, they didn't want to play Kansas City. If they were smart in a situation like that, you're not going to lose. Okay, I get it. I always use the example. The meteorite could strike the stadium. Yes, they could block a field goal and take it back for a touchdown. And somehow aliens could invade and, and award the Chargers the victory also. It's not going to happen in the practical real world. You're much better off risking the 0.1% chance you lose and kicking the long field goal at the end so you can avoid Kansas City round one. Yeah, that's kind of the way I leaned as well. And don't give me this bullshit about, oh, the Raiders match up better against Kansas City. No. No, they don't. You know, RJ said that. I'm going to call him out on that. That's, That's completely wrong. The point spread dictates who you play. And the point spread says they're a five and a half point dog against the Bengals. Obviously, they'd be a bigger dog at Kansas City. I tend to agree. All right. Let, let's – oh, well, one more on that game. F- fourth down from the 18. I know you, you're you pretty hard on these coaches who kick field goals and play conservative. You going for it there? No, but I'm fine with him going for it. Ideally, I would have liked him to fake a punt because the, just in my own experience, I've never seen a fake punt fail when it was unexpected. 
It always works. Fake punts only fail when it's obvious it's a good spot for a fake punt. The problem with a fake punt is, and I, I, when you've got Justin Herbert and you're like, okay, I can take. I don't. I just don't like that they ran the ball. I, I was thinking like, if you've got Justin Herbert, I, I can put one play on his arm. I'll take my chances. The problem is the analytics say a fourth and one. I know this was a fourth and two, but a fourth and one, you make it 73% if you run, 63% if you pass. I mean, the I think numbers that's for, are overwhelmingly in favor of run. I'm sure they are, but then does that take into account personnel and, like, the Chargers stink at running the ball. The Chargers so, are really good at, run, at throwing the ball. So instead of 73-63, it might be 68-64. I still think it's better to give it to Eckler. Okay. All right. Let's take a look at some of the topics for this week, and let's start with Draymond Green. You've got some big opinions on Draymond. <laughs> yeah. So for anyone who missed it, who's been, like, not on the planet Earth in the sports <laughs> betting world, Draymond Green uh, wanted to play when Clay Thompson returns. So, but he was injured, so he couldn't play. So Golden State decided, you know what? We're going to put Draymond out there in the starting five, but he's just going to tap out and foul. They're going to foul immediately after the opening tip and then get him out of there. He's going to play eight seconds of the game. And wind of that got tweeted. And so sharp betters pounded offshore books playing anti-Draymond Green props. And they didn't just play him like under eight and a half assists and under points and rebounds. They played in-game parlays where they smashed him under across the board, parlaying like five, six different ways, alternative lines, Draymond under, you know, much lower numbers. And the liability, I think just DraftKings alone was like over $5 million. So they don't pay out right away. And they have a caveat, predetermined events, the book is not responsible for. So the predetermined rule is like, what if you put the wrong start time on an Aussie rules football game and the game's already gone final and someone bets it because you put the wrong time. Well, you shouldn't have to pay out on that. Is this predetermined? I'm not a lawyer. I don't know. Check with your lawyer. So did they not end up paying? I believe they're going to pay because the PR would be so negative. It would be terrible. I, I and They I mean, did. They did end up paying after some bad press. It's kind of, I mean, you, it's your job too, like the guys who are putting these lines up. If if there's people, if enough people are out there that they can bet that kind of money against you, then you should have your guys listening to the same types of channels. And it's the cost of doing business. And you know what? How hard is it to have like 200 guys that are flagged throughout the country, and the first guy that bombs in Draymond Green, same game parlay. You know, then you get hit with the second guy. Boom, you know, immediately hit the kill switch. Take this thing off. And it just shows that the risk management team really has no idea what they're doing at these places. It makes sense they have no idea what they're doing. These are fledgling operations that have only been operating, you know, for a few years now in the U.S. And, you know, I'm always hypercritical of how scared and wimpy all the other books are that'll take like $50 limits on things and the like. But there's a reason that they do that because they know they can get annihilated if they don't have the right place um, uh, watch guards in place. And this is a classic example. But the good news is I'm going to fix this for everyone. I'm not going to find great fault with the betters that exploited this and were piggy about it and didn't want to win 2000 They wanted to win 50000 on their accounts, and now they're all limited and the like. Here's, this should always be the rule. And f- it should be the Draymond Green rule. Player must start. Player must play 60 seconds for the bet to have action. All right? That's the that's within the spirit of the rules that you like. I know guys get hurt when they're playing, and if they get hurt, then you then you win your unders. But 
you know, 60 seconds is a reasonable standard that if um, NBA, if an NBA player plays 60 seconds, he's probably good to go. If it's less than 60 seconds, then there's probably shenanigans. What does that apply for football as well? I think you could. You could say you, the problem is football is not as clean because you got you got backup wide receivers that they're over under is like a half a catch and they play on special teams and tracking it. So, but I don't think that this this issue really comes up much on football. But you certainly could say player must play like a major offensive player must must play a minimum of three plays or okay. something like that. And yeah. baseball, you could. You know, baseball. What do I know about baseball? Because I mean, like, there's pitching over, like, strikeout over unders, and then there, a guy may go out and throw one pitch, and it's like a ceremony, and then he just walks off. So you could say pitcher must face a minimum of two batters, but okay. then what happens when the line drive ricochets off his head on the, with the exactly. opening hitter? So I think it's, and and it's so rare that this ever comes up in baseball. But you can think when you think about it, basketball is the one place, and this has happened before. In they've had situations like um, the guy with the broken collarbone in college basketball. The coaches wink, wink, nod, nod. They come out and they both let the other team get a layup to start the game, right? And then take him out. So this is not unprecedented. No, nope. that there's a pre-scripted first thirty seconds that has occurred. Um, the the Kobe situation where both teams would like run off, you know, their first possessions. Right. You know, as it comes to mind as well. How how good is? Oh, will there be um, over under first minute of the game, you know, that's predetermined under, right? Yeah. Kind of, maybe not completely. Uh, not not quite the, the same, but it, it's, it's certainly, it certainly leaves open a lot of doubt uh, for the, and I understand why the sports books don't want that happening to them regularly. So have a one minute rule. Boom. And, and I'll predict that will be the rule or <clears> something <throat> similar to it by next year. Everyone okay. will use, it'll be the Draymond Green rule. Uh, let's talk about, back to that tie, the uh, the potential tie in the Chargers-Raiders game. The uh, the Jacksonville money line to a Sunday night football tie was not really that good of a deal, right? It was overrated. And I know it almost won, all right? People took the, the Jacksonville 7-1, to one, and they probably to the tie 60-1. to one. And so anytime that you've got like a 300-1 to one payout that almost pays, and it's like 50-50 to pay, it's easy to say, wow, what a sharp wager that was. First off, the Jacksonville money line, bet was was not a plus EV wager necessarily. No one that I follow came out before the game started and said, oh, I like Jacksonville to win outright. <laughs> the whole key was the correlation. And I agreed with the correlation. It was a good bet that if Jacksonville won, all of a sudden we could flop this thing such that both the Raiders and Chargers had an incentive not to lose. The tie was much better. And I fully agree. The chance of a tie in that game went up significantly after that became the case. But let's actually do math, and that's what people don't do math when they're betting. The chance of that game landing a tie was probably about 1 in 200. There's only been one tie all year long under normal circumstances, and the total was high in this game. Remember, the one tie was in crappy weather, Pittsburgh, um, Detroit this year. That's when you typically see ties. All right, so 1 in 200, 0.5%. What's the chance that those teams go into overtime? I could argue, you know, there's... um, there's an increased chance of overtime because if I've got the ball like on my own 18-yard line with two minutes left and the tie gets me in, I'll be conservative. If I'm Brandon Staley and I score on the last play of the game, I'm not going to go for two because that would be foolish. I'd be much better off going to overtime where a tie gets me into the playoffs. I'm willing to say the chance of a tie is 6%. It might even be 8%. There's no way in hell I'm going to 10%. That's, that's ludicrous. 
Um, and let's face it, it took, a, it took four miracles on fourth downs to get this game into overtime as it was. But let's use 8% to be hyper, completely conservative that it goes to overtime. Given that game went to overtime and both teams advanced with a tie, what would you say the odds are that uh, it would end in a tie as they're kicking off the overtime? 15%, 10% maybe. All right. I, I, I'm going to go higher. I'm going to okay. say, I'm going to, I'm going to go maybe for the, this particular game this because game. there was incentive and like I could, I'd probably say 20%. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm going to be totally ridiculously conservative. I'm going to say one third. Okay. That, that's a stupid number. That's way too high. Okay. Okay. But I'm still going to use it. So I'm going to use an 8% chance. It goes to overtime, ridiculously high. And a 33% chance, given it goes to overtime, it ties. So if I go 8% times 0.33, that's a 2.67%. You know, I'm going to round it up because I'm feeling generous. That's still a 3% chance for a tie. That's still 33 to 1 is the true payoff, you know, the, the, the no big payoff. All right, so if you got 60 to 1, you got yourself a fine bet. That Jacksonville money line to 60 to 1 looks good, all right? Looks like it, it has an EV of, like, double on, on the long run. However... There were people cutting in line, betting the tie. Um, Mackenzie, I think we saw that it got as low as 9-1. to one. Is that correct? Yes, sir. It's crazy. So people were – think about how bad people bet. Oh, there's an incentive for the tie. I'll bet the tie at 10-1. to one. They're betting something that has – you know, we just laid out all the math. A 3% chance of, of hitting, and they're getting 10-1. to one. And you know what? Those same people are crying a river about what a great bet they made because they should have won – and they lost. No, it was a great bet at above 30, 30 to 1, above 33 to 1. It was a terrible bet at 20 to 1. And it was as god awful a bad a bet as you can make. And, and hey, I put my money where my mouth is. I bet no tie. I got minus 1,400. I could not believe it. And someone said to me, wow, were you sweating it out because you risked 14,000 to win 1,000? You know what? The only thing I was sweating out is why the hell I didn't bet more, <laughs> because that's the type of bet. If if you lose that bet, you just shake the sports book's hands and say, "All right, you know, let me know when you're going to put up a no a no bet on a tie at fourteen to one odds." Thank yeah, you. and that was a pregame fourteen to one no tie, right? Yes. I was going to say, did you bet any Chargers down fourteen? You got ten to one odds, probably. No, I sh- um, smart, but then, you know, that's a good point that um, you know you could. You, at some point, you know, and the total in the game was 49 and a half. So the, the total was telling you these teams were not going to be like running the ball three times and punting each and every possession. There were correlated parlays did really well, though, the last couple of weeks of this season, right? Yeah. And we talked about one. We had it obviously on the pod and SOV. Um, and it, it made all the sense in the world. Tennessee won week 17. Kansas City didn't have home field locked up, so they had to play their starters. And ultimately, they closed an 11-point favorite. And people were like, were like, wow, you got really lucky. You bet Kansas City in the parlay minus three to win that. They easily could have lost, and that was took a minor miracle for them to cover um, when they won by four, to which I responded, you know what? If you lay three on games that close 11, you'll do just fine going forward. <laughs> All right, let's get into the contest that we talk, we've been talking about. The same guy has been in the lead for most of the season at Circa. You said we'll talk about it at the end. The contest is over. First, give us the results. And second, let's talk about his strategy. Derbify, the fellow who's been just behind Hannibal most of the way, won. So Derbify won. A dude called the Mad Russian tied him for first, but Derbify had the tie breaks. So the Mad Russian finished his second, 
and maybe guys who can pull off the final um, circa millions results. And Hannibal held on for third, I believe. I don't know if he tied with some others for third, but um, he did exactly what I knew he would do. He plowed ahead. He'd been doing this the entire year. He, he'd play identical entries, uh, identical five games on all his entries, or virtually identical. And my goodness, he stuck to what, like the captain of the Titanic steaming ahead. And and I, and I, I get it. People are like, Fezzik, you're an idiot. This guy kicked ass all year long. He totally outperformed you. He picked games better than you. Um, he was light years better than you this year. You were 20 games above 500, and he was 35 above 500. Why would you give him betting advice when he was doing so great? And I would respond because he's a complete and utter donkey when it came to, to gaming strategy. This has nothing to do with handicapping. You're in first place. You play your five best. That's great. You do what you do. But you've got a third place entry. That third place entry, given the prize structure of a million dollars for first, three fifty for second, two fifty for third, something like that. That third place entry is probably worth what four hundred thousand yeah. in terms of if you ran it enough times, yeah. it's going to win the million several a, a lot. Also, the third place entry has a hidden gem advantage. It knows what the first place guy is playing because he's you. Right. So you can diversify the hell out of it so that it looks nothing like the first place guy because you want to be live. And that way you can catch the first place guy. Now, do you play five opposite picks from what the first place guy plays? Or do you play five completely independent picks? Maybe a couple opposite picks. Maybe you, there's one. Maybe your your two best picks you put on both cards, and then the other three maybe are opposite. If you've got like sixty percent type of plays, like you get if you had a situation which didn't happen the last week, but if you had a situation where you had a Baltimore game that like um, the Baltimore Pittsburgh was the biggest line move, but maybe if you had a game like Minnesota Green Bay the week before that went from six and a half to thirteen. All right, maybe you got to put that on both the entries, but you diversify. You could even go opposite that. That's fine. Or you just play your sixth through tenth games. It's obvious. It's totally obvious. And if it's not obvious, all you gotta do is reach out to experts. This is the thing about sports betters. Sports betters in contest suck at this. They're terrible at the game theory. They want to do what they've been doing all year long, and and they're convinced they're better than everyone else. Curiously, poker players don't have that malady. You see this all the time. People make the when the, when the World Series of Poker, they make the November nine. Back when it was in the summer and they had four months, here Jesse Silva goes out and gets hires Vanessa Sebs to help him with his poker game, right? You saw David Williams yep. get the guy from Europe helping him out, you know, for months, you know, training him, working on scenarios. Nope. I can tell you how many guys have ever contacted me for help with basic strategy in the final couple weeks. Zero. Bagel. Donut. Nobody. The has, only two-time Super Contest champion. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm available. I'm here, and I'm not. I mean, I'm not cheap, but I'm not expensive either. You know, and I, and 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 basically, if you just flattered me, saying I I could really use a little help, I, you know, I I would probably do it for nothing almost. And yet, no one has has ever bought. But the point is, the second that 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 Hannibal with the elephants crossing the Alps, I guess, it didn't work. No. Um. The second that he submits the identical entries, his third place entry goes from being worth 400,000. I don't know the exact numbers. The simulators can go ahead and punch it in. It's probably worth 200,000. It probably drops in value by one half because now he cannot beat himself. The extreme example is imagine a lottery winner take all where you played the same six numbers. All right. So you win twice or zero. Um, it was just horrible. Now, Derbify was in second and fourth place. 
he played his best five for second place, I believe. And then he did a clever thing. His fourth place entry, he just went opposite all five. Now, I'm not sure that's 100% correct mathematically, but the point is we can have a conversation about what's the optimal strategy and should there be opposite picks? Should he, you know, do, um, you know, just five independent picks, maybe a few opposites? The bottom line is I agreed with Derba 5 because in one of the years I won the Westgate Super Contest, I had a pick, a second-place pick that was in the top 10. I don't recall if it was like an eighth or ninth. I was mm -hmm. in first place, and I oppo-fived my, my top five. So I used that strategy, and at halftime at the, in the final games, if the halftime games had been the final scores, that ninth-place finish would have won first. The oppo would have gone 4-0-1 and, and actually passed everybody by being completely contrarian it, and then the games turned around, but, um, so Derbify the, the entry that won was his leading entry, like it, his it best was. picks, right? It was, he ultimately went three and two on his leading pick and that got him the, you know, the half point win, but it, but I was rooting for him completely because Derbify played it right. And Hannibal, uh, Oh my goodness. It, it just, you know, and I don't want to be hypercritical of someone that's just a recreational gambler. And that's great that he's in there. And, and playing. And you know what? Jamie Gold wins the main event. And Chris Moneymaker wins the main event. And you know what? Those guys, uh, they're pretty good poker players, but they are not world-class poker players. And when given the opportunity, um, you know what? Why not reach out to, some, to, to, to someone would be the lesson if you have that opportunity and ask for advice about things. I think that's a good point. And you actually did have some success in at least one contest this year. Yeah, so I wake up Monday morning. I'm a little groggy. I look at, what's this? An email from the Westgate. Oh, God. Are they, they're probably mad at me about something. No, it's um, it's from my man, Ray. Fez, congratulations. You placed second in your Westgate Super Contest, Season to Win Contest, a little $200 contest um, that my buddy Teddy Covers let me know about the day before. And I, I rushed down there right before the... I'm, sign up for the last, um, for survivor and some other things. And so I threw, I threw this in like on a whim, the crack man was standing next to me. He says, boy, you know what? Um, there's not very many, um, monitors open. So there's a line and crack man says, you know, Fez, if you're fast, you can go in front of me. So I go in there. I literally spent under one minute submitting my picks. Second place, 23 and seven and two, 65. Just one entry. I actually played three. I did play three. Okay. And I put them in all lickety split. And I, but they were, and I randomized I mean, them. I, I randomized them. Okay. Pretty, you know, I, I, I didn't. The ones you were sure on were on all three. The ones that you were maybe 40, 60 on, you, you spread around. It, pretty pretty much. And, you know, it's not like normally if I did it right, I would, like, lay it all out and opt. And, 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 but I, I'm busy. You know, I tried to make it look a, a little bit different. Now, here's what's curious. How many overs do you think I had on my second place finishing contest? Hmm. You know, I've spoken about I prefer unders. Yeah, you said that a lot that at the beginning. I'm going to go with six. Seven. Oh, close. Very good. All right. So I only had seven overs and 25 unders. And you say, there's no way you can win, you know, playing that many unders. Well, they're right. It's I finished second. <laughs> but you could, you could but come pretty damn close. Because more unders hit than overs. And in fact, so the end of the year numbers were um, – depending on how you graded a few that were really close, 16 unders, 11 um, overs, and uh, five ties against market numbers. So between your your win in this contest, or your second place in this contest, and your quarterly win at Circa, 
did like did you finish up or down in your contest coming into the yeah, season? Yeah, I doubled up. I got I got back eighteen thousand and invested, you know, um, a little under ten thousand. So it was double up. Okay, t- that's a good yeah. hell. You'll take that every time, right? No, 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 oh, no. Greedy. And, and and here and here's why. Um, the uh, I'm convinced my ROI is over a hundred percent. There's so much dead money in this stuff, and people are like, how can that possibly be the case? And I'm like, well, you know, you look at my my past track record and the like, and, and there's just so many folks that just have no idea what they're doing in these contests that they 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 simply it would be a miracle for them to win, you know, given the way that they play. Would you agree? Like, do you feel like Survivor is the one that's the most random, the most uh, the most possible for an amateur to win? Yes. And the reason being is you're not picking against spreads. All you have to do is pick the winner each and every week. And you know what? I get it. The person that lays it all out perfectly is going to have like a minus 13 and a minus 8, you know, late in the year. And the other guy has to take like a minus 6 and a minus 4, you know, possibly. But the bottom line is the guy still has a 60% chance of getting through when you might have a 75. And these are like as, as, as extreme as it gets. And I will say this. I saw some of the video clip of some of some of the gentlemen that won the Survivor this year. Let's just say they are not going to repeat. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay, let's switch over to college basketball real quick. And these numbers, the way you worded it is probably pretty accurate. The college basketball numbers getting wrecked at 6:30 in the morning. Yeah. So that's 6.30 Vegas time. Several, Pacific time, right. Several big-name bettors and services are releasing their plays at exactly 6.30 a.m. So that's kind of like the deadline for professional bettors. They're like, uh-oh, if I want to get down a team, I like, I better set the alarm clock and bet it before 6.30 because now after that, I may not be able to get the number I want. So normally... It would be a complete dead time at 6 a.m. Pacific that the markets wouldn't be moving and there'd be like very limited going on. Well, now the East Coast books are up and ready to go at 9 a.m. And the betters know there's going to be some radical movement at 6.30 Pacific. So there's a whole lot of betting going on between 6 and 7 a.m. And these numbers moving around like crazy. I would say if you sleep in till 7.30 a.m., it's going to be really hard to find value. No, you're right. Six a.m. and you're you're a college basketball guy, and you and and you work a long day, and it's very tempting to say, "I'll oh, just look at that board tomorrow morning." But then, you know, shocker, your very best bet suddenly can you know you're getting cheated on the number. Yeah, I've I've noticed the same. I uh, I've tried to if I've got a play I really like that I worry about it moving, I'll I'll play it the night before. But um, but but I have there's been multiple times that I woke up and said. What? That wasn't the number when I went to bed. What what's going on here? So that is certainly certainly happening. All right, let's talk about the futures market for these playoffs. And there's one thing that jumps out to me, and I'm curious your thoughts on this. If the Titans were the one seed, or if they weren't the one seed, what would their Super Bowl odds be? And if the Chiefs were the one seed, what would theirs be? Because it's fascinating to me that the Titans have to play an extra game and their odds are way longer than a couple of other teams. And I keep hearing about, oh, the Titans 12-1 to and what great value they have. And I'll come over the top and say, how can it be a value? They're going to be an underdog in every game. So let's let's assume what they've got – 
they might have only a one-third chance of winning their, their, their three playoff games. One-third times one-third times one-third is one twenty-seventh. Now, maybe that's shortchanging them a little bit. I'll round it up to one-twentieth, but you see where I'm going. Mm-hmm. They're, you're only getting 12-1 to 1 on the Titans, and it's easy to say, well, they're the number one seed, and you're getting 12-1. to 1. They only have to win three games. No, they have to upset three teams along the way, probably. So because of that, there's no value at all betting the Titans. Just play the money line. You know, if you if you like the Titans and you think they're undervalued, play them as a money line, their first playoff game, their second playoff game in the, in the Super Bowl. You'll come out with more money, and that's really probably true of all these games. Now, you asked me about what if Kansas City was the one seed. I think in that situation, they probably would be about 50-50 to make the Super Bowl, right? Yeah, I would think so. And then they'd be like... 50, they'd probably be minus three in the Super Bowl, something like that, given they made it. Maybe that's a little too high. Maybe minus two. So 50% times 55%, they'd have, have about maybe a 30% chance to, to to win it all. So, you know, three three to one would look to be like about a break-even wager if they were the one seed. What are they currently, Kansas City? The two seed. And and what what are their odds? They're, uh, they're five to five one? Five to one, yeah. Yeah, which looks inadequate, grossly inadequate, given – you know, that they aren't aren't going to be arrested and they've got a, a more difficult path. But then again, you know, going to Tennessee is not going to be um, – you know, I've got Kansas City a good six points better than Tennessee, maybe five if Derrick Henry healthy comes back. We don't know he's going to be healthy. Well, I, I think RJ said this yesterday, and if Chalk holds in the AFC and we've got a Tennessee-Cincinnati uh, matchup and a Buffalo-Kansas City matchup – that's going to be some really good games. So, and it would set up for, I mean, I think a really good AFC championship as well. Uh, but I, I think that those matchups, if if they end up happening, now upsets happen in the playoffs, but if those four teams, if the chalk holds on the AFC side, it's going to be, it, it'll be a good playoff. You know, let me caveat. I said Tennessee would be a one-third, one-third. So my number's bad. That that first number, it can't, Cincinnati at Tennessee would be a toss-up. Ten, yeah. Tennessee would be a one-point favorite. So, I'll call it a half. So, so a half times a third times a third um, is uh, one eighteenth. So twenty to one is too is too low. Maybe call it eighteen to one. Okay. All right. Let's uh, let's put a bow on the regular season of twenty twenty one, and th- this applies to me. Why why didn't I win in twenty twenty one, Fez? You didn't have <laughs> you didn't have enough outs. Okay. You, you didn't get good enough numbers. You didn't get in on the very best bets that you should have over the course of the year. And I don't play enough live. And you don't play enough live. You continue to like resist me when I say you've got your apps funded, to which you respond, I can just drive I know. To, to, to get down. I know. And I throw my cell phone against the wall and it explodes. I got, you know, I got a buddy in Tennessee. If you did that, you wouldn't have your outs. I got my buddy. It's true. <laughs> I got my buddy in Tennessee, like, and he's a recent better, you know, and, and he's got access to some of the other books. And he'll text me, uh, like, like, I sent him a text, and, and this is a curious text. He sends back an hour later. He says, bet it now or wait until, well, wait until later. You know, they can't get that number. I'm like, of course you can't get that number. <laughs> you gotta have, you gotta bet as soon as the notification comes in. It there's a reason I'm sending it out. Um, I think that the market is going to move. You know, so let's lock it in now. And guess what? Even if the market wasn't going to move, it's certainly going to move. After I've got enough clients and big betters that they're going to move it, even if I'm wrong initially. You know, so um, you know, I would argue that winning at sports betting 
you know what? It's very, very difficult if you don't have your cell phone attached to your hip and you're not getting an immediate email notification or a notification, you know, on your phone that a play just went up because things things change so quickly. Things happen quickly. All right, Fezzik, great episode as usual. Tons of information. I enjoyed doing this pod. I learned a lot from it. Hope you guys out there are as well. Hope you're subscribed to the channel. Get it all. Take it all in. Uh, tell your friends about it, and let's keep growing this thing. Fezzik, appreciate you. Brad McKenzie, great job. And we will talk to you guys next week.